0: Good morning and happy Father's Day. It's almost time for discipleship classes to begin. No matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, discipleship groups are the place for you. You can find more information about these classes at praise.fyi. While you're there, sign up to help out our mortgage burning party. We can't wait to celebrate the amazing things God has done and the amazing things that are coming next. Praise.fyi, your place for everything praise. I do want to encourage you one more time, June 30th is coming up very, very soon. We want you to be here on that day, to be volunteering, to be celebrating with us, but let me remind you that it is not just a celebration and a party to say, look at us, we're now debt-free. Instead, it is a celebration to say something that once stood in our way is gone. Something that once limited us is gone, and now we can begin to dream and create and love our community in a way that we've never been able to before. And so come with us on June 30th. It's going to be so good. I promise it will be a day that you will remember. Amen? Amen. Uh, as, as Lynette mentioned, Pastor Allen um, is having some family time this weekend. And so while the boss is away... I'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. We, we, hey, if you've been at praise the last few months, uh, c- can we just give it up for Pastor Allen, delivering the messages that he has delivered this week? Amen. God truly has been moving the past few months in an incredible way, and just because Allen is away today, we are not going to stop. We're not going to pump the brakes. Um, but we're going to keep going this morning um, with a speaker Um, I guess the technical word is a guest speaker, but this speaker, for many of you, is not a guest. Uh, The Riveras have been attending praise uh, for a couple years now. They're a part of our family, um, and not just a part of our praise assembly family. They are a part of, a vital part of, uh, the Assemblies of God family um, at large. They are the the national uh, relations leaders for our Hispanic uh, ministries here in the Assemblies of God. And, uh, and I, I, I'm excited for this day. I'm excited to have someone speaking here this morning who's, whose leadership is in Springfield, but truly does reach to the ends of the earth. And so I would just love it if you guys would get excited this morning uh, as Pastor Dennis Rivera comes to the stage. Would we give him a round of applause this morning, praise?
1: Thank you, Pastor, Pastor. and God bless you, and uh, happy Father's Day to all of the fathers that are here today. We honor you. You are special. You um, really keep the family. You are the, you know, the, the term husband used to come from the old English word house bound, the one that binds the house together, even though most will say it's mom that sort of keeps things rolling in the house, but, you know, it is the father who is the provider, the protector, the leader, and so to all of the men here today that are uh, here, you're a father, God bless you, welcome to this service today. Pastor, thank you for mentioning Pastor Allen, because uh, my wife, Naomi, who was, sit- was sitting by me, and many of you would know Naomi as well, maybe you've seen her. We're always sitting on this side. We sort of kind of felt a little bit out of place this morning. we got to sit over here. You know how it is when you think, have your place in the, in the building. But, and I say this from, from my experience in, in not only having been pastors, we pastored for, for 24 years. We was a district superintendent in Colorado uh, for the Hispanic district that covered six Rocky Mountain states. Uh, we just came back from Colorado yesterday having spoken at a conference there but I'm telling you that I, we have never been more blessed to sit under a ministry like the ministry of Pastor Alan Beauchamp. We are so blessed. And uh, I shared with him recently, I wrote just wrote him an email to encourage him to thank him. And he had said something in a, in a sermon one day. He said, he said if, I could, if they could hook up an IV to me and I could just give you my life's blood, I would do that like somebody that is somehow basically willing to say i literally lay my life. And I, and I wrote to him, and I said, recently, uh, Leonard Sweet, uh, a seminary professor, I think out of uh, uh, Kentucky, Asbury, wrote a book called um, Giving Blood. And he said, today preachers are going to have to start preaching messages as if they're giving their very life. to their. Co-. And I said, Pastor, that's you right now. You're, you're pouring your heart into us. And I'm just telling you, folks, God's, God's doing something in this, this building. God is doing something in this church. I hope that your heart is with great expectation. Something's going to give in this place. And I believe that God's glory is going to touch the people that are hungry for him. And that's what I, th- I believe his messages are creating hunger. That heart inclined towards God. So this morning I said to him, Pastor, I'll accept the invitation to preach, but I, I accept it with fear and trembling because of the, just, just the, the strong anointing that is on your life. I hope that somehow I can contribute something to what God has been saying to the church here at Praise. And so, again, we're here as part of the family this morning, but I, I just want you to, to, just to know that we're blessed to be here. I want you to take your Bibles, if you have one near you, and open to the book of Acts chapter 2. I know that last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and I want to make emphasis on Acts chapter 2, verse 17, but I'm not going to really preach uh, on that verse. I'm going to make reference to it as we introduce. I'm really going to tell you the story, the story that I think relates to the concept of visions and dreams and dreams. Connecting Generations. And uh, I really believe with, uh, this has just been so strong in my heart. If you work at the national office, uh, and, and I serve there as the director of Hispanic relations, I just preached this two weeks ago, or three weeks ago maybe, in chapel. Uh, so if you, were, if you were there, you're going you're gonna to hear this again, because I just felt in my heart, and I think this will fit for us for Father's Day Visions and dreams, Acts 2:17, connecting the generations, and you can probably see on the screen. I have a picture of a pit bull and a lion, and you'll understand those images as I get to the end of the message. Um, and I really believe that you'll find. You'd say, where would you even find it? What, 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 what person could represent the image of a pit bull? You'll, you'll, you'll find him in the scriptures with me this morning, and. Uh, I, I trust that you'll connect because I believe that those two images me just represent two generations. And especially, and I'm speaking from the generation, I am, I am a baby boomer. Uh, I was born in the 50s. My generation for the longest time was the largest generation in America. And now we are about to, to concede. In fact, we are really already conceding to the Z, genera- Generation Z. But really, we're, we're going to be overtaken now by the millennials, and the reason for that is because our generation is starting to fade, our generation is starting to die, and and the millennials uh, are just about to overtake us, and will be uh, and I thought would be the largest generation in America. But really, the Z's are coming on so strong now, folks. Between the millennials and the Z's, folks, you you just have to know that's the future of America. But something specific has to happen. I believe very that we need to really grasp this. Something has to happen uh, in order for us to actually see um, what I believe God has laid in my heart and God has spoken to me in my heart, that the next major move of God in America will come through the millennial generation, but not by themselves. Not by themselves. And I believe that scripturally... That there is something that the Holy Spirit can do that only the Holy Spirit can do. And I think that we've already seen proof of that. But I want you to just read with me in Acts 2.17. And this is what it says. I'm reading the New American Standard. I realize the version that's probably sitting in the pew is not the same version. But it's, it's so close. You can just follow it. And it says this. Uh, so uh, we go to slide 2. It says, and in the la- it, it shall be in the last days, God says, That I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, uh, that's verses 17 and 18. Um, This particular prophecy was was part of the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, when he stood and and he answered he answered the question what is this the people were wondering what this was and he said this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel which was an old testament prophecy that god would identify the last days at a, a, and this is this is really how you identify the last days god says i am going to pour out my spirit upon all mankind he goes there's going to be a major paradigm change about the way I'm working. And then when he said, your sons and daughters, I want you to understand, that word was coming to the nation of Israel. Sons and daughters is speaking about the the, the Jewish people. But then God includes what he says, my bond slaves, my bond servants, both men and women. Now, when he speaks about both men and women, he's basically saying he said, I am going to, in the last days, I am going to pour out my spirit upon my sons and daughters, or upon your sons and daughters, the Jewish people, upon bond slaves, really is more of a reference to the Gentile nations. And that would have been completely foreign to their, to their understanding. You mean God is saying, in the last days, even the Gentile nations are going to be part of the mission? God said yes. And also, men and women together are going to be working together to fulfill my mission. God is saying basically I'm going, to, I'm going to unify the generations and I'm going to unify the genders. And I am going to basically not only work in Israel. I mean this basically God is saying I am going not to just work in one tribe. I am going to work in the whole nation and then I'm going to go into the, all of the world. Basically, folks, all of us that have been involved in ministry have to understand this. And all of us that have a passion to see people one to Jesus, generations come and generations go, and often sometimes generations die off. People, we we realize, even I'm a boomer, and right now anybody that would talk to anybody planting a church would tell you, do not plant a church amongst boomers. You are going to waste your time. They're very difficult to win at this point in their life. You probably would only win them if you were to win their children, and they might show up to see who has had an impact on my kids or my grandkids, simply because my generation has already reached a place where they're very difficult to win in America. And most of the new churches that are beginning to explode in growth are reaching the millennial generation, those that are able to actually cross that into that culture, the millennials. But I believe with all of my heart that God is saying right now that he is doing something in America and that is going to require us to to see the generations unified. And I, I spoke at a conference last year in which I said to those that were there, it was a senior conference, and I said to them, listen, I believe God is saying this. If you have passed your baton, take it back. You're not out of the race. And if you've dropped your baton, pick it up. Because the way it works in a relay race, how many of you, you've watched track, you know that in a relay race, if you drop the baton, everybody in the race loses. But here's the, here's the problem that we're, I believe we're seeing now, especially we that are a Pentecostal people that believe in the baptism and the empowerment of the Spirit, which is the reference to the verse that I spoke to you this morning. God says, in the last days, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. I really believe that it was what is going to unify generations. And, and some would say, why is there such a division, difficulty for generations? Uh, it's, you know how, how can you be a multi-generational church? In many cases, some people say they don't know if they can actually pull that off. Uh, people say, how could you have a multicultural church? Because in a multicultural church, you have to give expression to all kinds of cultures. And some people say that doesn't work that well either. But I will tell you this. I really believe that God is calling generations to run together in this race, because what happens you'll discover that that unless you pass the baton, unless uh, if, if, if we are sometimes one generation away from Christianity fading completely away in America. And I know that for us that are a Pentecostal people, one generation from the next generation completely losing the experience of not only receiving the baptism of the Spirit, but being able to operate and function and minister under that anointing. And so what is happening is I believe that the Holy Spirit comes to unite generations and He begins to form one body and to bring unity You know, when the Holy Spirit came on on the day of Pentecost, something blew in and something blew out. The things that separate us, culture, color, race, generation, economic, social standing, all fall to the ground and we become one in Christ Jesus. The testimony of Azusa Street at at that time in history, where racism was openly practiced and racial divide kept people apart, was that when the Spirit came... The pride of men were was mowed down, and people felt that the blood of Jesus was erasing the color line. Can you say, a "Good, Amen"? In Acts two forty four through forty seven, it says, it "Summed up, and all who had believed were together and had all things common." All of our best planning and leadership skills cannot produce what the Holy Spirit produces. Often, we're doing everything we can to make our church reflect the culture. But reality is our nation is made up of so many subcultures that that are evolving every day that just when you think you caught up with the culture, it moved on. Thank the Internet for that. For as knowledge increases, so do cultures and their languages. I'm already aware that I don't even speak the same language as a a millennial. They'll say things I'll say. It's like, you might as well talk to me in another language. I don't know if I get that. And they'll probably say the same thing to me. So you're looking, so, so you think, how does this work? I believe that, that what we're seeing in, our, in America, right, is a sad moral, we are, we are moving into a state of total moral decay, sinking into abyss further and further from God and biblical truth. And it seems like we're more divided than we've ever been. The political divide right now in America almost seems like we're bordering on civil unrest and civil war. And I don't know if you've ever read the book, C.S. Lewis's book called The Great Divorce. I don't know if anybody's ever read that book. It's not a book about marriage, but I want to challenge you to read that book. It's a book about, it's a, really a book about how a people will reject heaven when they had an opportunity and really the difference, the, 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 the divorce between heaven and hell. And he starts the book, if you read the book, it's a very short book. It's similar to, I mean, some of you have read maybe uh, uh, C.S. Lewis's book. Maybe you've read Screwtape Letters. But he, he basically describes the atmosphere of hell. And When you start reading the book, you don't know if you're on earth or if you're, you know, if you're in some, some earthly place. And this is what he said. He says, I think earth, if chosen instead of heaven, will turn out to have been all along. Only a region in hell. And earth, if put second to heaven, to have been from the very beginning a part of heaven itself. Now, just to get get your interest in this book, and I won't camp anymore on this book, this book basically takes place where he describes this terrible, dim atmosphere where nobody likes each other, everybody wants to live as far apart as they possibly can. It's the ultimate selfishness. It's this region of hell. And, but God comes and he gives the people in hell a weekend free to get on a bus and go to heaven. Wouldn't that be great? God sends a bus to hell and he says, I'm going to give you a weekend in heaven. And the bus fills up. And when the people arrive in heaven, they cannot believe the atmosphere, the clarity They cannot believe the beauty. They cannot believe the colors. They cannot, when they look at themselves, they almost look at themselves as if they're a ghost. They said, we don't weigh anything, and everything there seems solid and totally real. But the reality is, is that by the time they do their tour of heaven, they've come to the realization because of who they are, because of this self-centeredness, their self-existence, this desire to, to it's, its the ultimate, the ultimate expression of, of someone that has rejected God is that they've chosen themselves for eternity. And most people would say, how, how, what is it like to have to live only with yourself for eternity? But the reality is every one of them gets back on the bus and says, I want to go back because I can see very clearly I was not made for this place. But I'm telling you, folks, I believe that, that the response to what is happening in America is God pouring out his spirit one more time upon his church. God unifying, how many can say good amen with me, the culture, God unifying the generations, God empowering his people. And God has said to my heart, he said, he said, he said this in 2016, he says, the next major move that will, of the spirit in America will happen in millennials, and if America survives It's because God has moved, transformed our churches so that his power and presence cause us to love the lost so much that we made room for them. And we have made room for generations and they were attracted to Christ in us and God's kingdom culture as much as we are attracted to them. Malachi said this, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise I will come and strike the land with a curse. So God is basically saying in the last days he goes in order for us not to lose And for us not to lose the passing down of spiritual heritage, the passing down of spiritual experience and reality, which, by the way, they're telling us that the millennials are saying to us, we want to see real. We want to see real experience. We want God real. So in order for that to happen, God has got to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Now, Stanley Horton said about this verse, old men will dream dreams and young men will see vision. I want you to think about that. Old men are not going to dream dreams because they're sleepy, because they're now sleeping in the church, because they're old and the young men are seeing visions because they're fully awake. I've I've heard that joke before. It said, you know, you're already in the dream stage. No. Stanley Horton said this. He said the context of this is that God is going to start moving and ministering through both sons and daughters, old and young, God's servants and God's and men and women. All flesh includes people from every background, every color, every nationality. Clearly God wants every believer from every class of society to be involved. He said the Hebrew word for your old men is derived from the word zakan, which means beard. He said it meant the measure of maturity. It's only describing men that have come to the place where they're now growing the full beard. So he said when it says old men, it could be men that are about 30, 40 years old. So when I say old men, I want, I want you, I, all of you that are out there, especially in today's generation, because the, all the millennials are still in their 30s. So I'm saying to you right now, if you're in your 40s and you have reached spiritual maturity, let me just include you with the old men. So i going say, Brother Dennis, please. I don't know what's happened. I mean, in, in American culture, the beard has come back. I would probably have them, but I can't grow one. But it, that, Stanley Horton says it's speaking of, he says, the emphasis on maturity and experience rather than age. Men that were wise, able to judge what is right, what is wrong, and, and, and he said they would need to have God's spirit poured on them to dream God-sent dreams. The Hebrew word for your young men is derived from the Hebrew word bakar, which means to choose, to select. They weren't ordinary boys. The Hebrew has another word, na'ar, for that. These were young men, full grown, about 20 years old, full of vigor and unmarried. They're full of strength and full of stamina. He said, even the weak will totter and and, and fall, uh, according to uh, Isaiah, about the race of life. They need the fullness of the Holy Spirit if they're to see God-given visions. So oh, let me just tell you right now that we are living. I, my, I, Naomi and I have four kids. My oldest son, uh, Nathan, is a, a Gen Xer. The Gen Xers was the first generation in 13 generations to be le- least less in population than the previous generation. The one generation in, in America that was less than the previous is only one, and that's Gen Xers. They are the generation also that really were the result of abortion. If you want to measure the Gen Xers, you say, why was the Gen Xers a smaller generation? Abortion. But the millennials, by the way, many are believing that the millennials, should God move on the millennials, will probably be those that will champion the, putting, the, the stopping of abortion. But we are now in a place right now that as a result of, of uh, also the Gen Xers were the, are the least church generation in history. Now I'm going to go to slide three. Let me give you, so, so you can understand, if you were hearing uh, Peter say, uh, I'll pour out my spirit on, on all mankind, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men will, will see visions, your old men dream dreams. It's still Old Testament when they, that was spoken. So I want to show you in the Old Testament what God said about visions and dreams. Just listen to this. And you'll see it up here on the screen. It's Numbers chapter 12, verses 5 and 6. And the context of this is that Miriam and Aaron have criticized Moses. And they said, it's like criti- they were criticizing the leader. And they said, God doesn't just speak to Moses, he speaks to us. And so God called them into His office. How many know you're kind of in trouble if God calls you to the office? And He says, "You need to come over here to my office. We need to have a conversation. And I'm going to talk to you about this thing that you just said." God speaks to us. He said, and "This is what God said. This is what God said." Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and He called Aaron and Miriam. And when they both came forward, He said, "Hear my words." If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision, and I shall speak to him in a dream. So God is saying, Old Testament, if you understood visions and dreams, that God reveals himself in visions, and God speaks his word in dreams. And so what he's now, I want you to, t- to take hold of that because remember now, in the, 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 uh, Joel said, in the last days, God said, old men, or young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. What God is saying is to old men, mature men, I will speak my word clearly to them. And to the young men, I will reveal myself to them. If you think about what is necessary right now, there needs to be another revelation of God to the younger generation. And older men and women that have been walking with Jesus for a while need to lay hold of God's word and God's promise and keep dreaming and praying over that dream that God has laid upon your heart. Now think about this. God is saying, he says, young men, I will reveal myself. Young men and women, I'll reveal myself to them through dreams, through visions. Old men, I will speak to you through dreams. Now, let's go to the next slide. Now, we go to this person called Caleb. Caleb, in this particular passage in Joshua 14, represents the dreamer. Now, he has been 40 years in the wilderness with 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 a generation of what I I'm going I'm going to just call it back then the generation of millennials and he comes to to Joshua after having come back to the land having fought for others and he says to Joshua in this verse the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb the Jeph- uh, son of Jephune the Kenazite said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. And he goes on to describe to him, he says, Remember what God said to me and he spoke to you? Now what happened at Kadesh Barnea was, this was the colossal failure of the leadership of Israel. When I say the leadership, Do you all remember that when when they came to the border of Canaan in Numbers chapter 13, uh, that God God said to take 12 men, uh, a leader. Now I want you to notice this if you read uh, Numbers 13. He said to choose a leader from every tribe. Now so the role of the leader was to go in and spy out the land. The role of the leader was to go in and experience the land. The role of the leader was to go in and eat the fruit of the land and come back and tell us what you see, and then you are going to be the ones that lead us into God's promise to us. That's what leaders are supposed to do. And I'm going to speak to this morning to fathers. You're a leader, the leader is supposed to go in and spy it out. The leader is to go in and, 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 and search it out. The leader is supposed to, the, the land of promise is God's, remember this, this was what it was, this was the whole purpose of the, of the exodus was to go out and go in, go out of Egypt and go into the land of promise. It was there that God was going to bless Israel, raise them up to be a light amongst the nations and bring forth the Messiah. But it says that they went in and they for 40 days they searched out the land. There was a man from every tribe. And it was Caleb who represented the tribe of Judah. But I want you to look at this verse with me. Caleb is actually called a Kenazite. I discovered in studying Caleb that Caleb was not pure Jewish. The Kenazites were actually a break off of the, some one of the Edomite, Edomite tribes that had migrated and had joined the children of Israel and had merged with the tribe of Judah. It is said that, that, uh, that, that Caleb had a Jewish mother, but he had a Gentile father. So he was mixed. Here's what I want you to grasp, though. The way it worked in Israel, inheritance always came through your father, not through your mother. So if his father was gentile, then Caleb actually was not had any direct inheritance to be given to him. That is why when God spoke about Caleb, he called him my bond slave Caleb. Now Caleb essentially the most amazing thing, he says he said I have been faithful to the Lord my God. This man and I, and he, here's what the, the colossal failure of leadership was this, that when the children, uh, the, 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 tw- the 12 spies came back, 10 of the spies gave a terrible report. They said, the land is good. Oh, yes, it's good. We saw what, what God said, but we saw Cities that are fortified, and we saw the the children of Anak, giants in the land. We saw, yes, it's a wonderful land. There's fruit, but, 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 but we, we saw ourselves as just grasshoppers in their sight. And so we were in their sight. And so I even asked the question, how do you know that you're a grasshopper in their sight? Did you go ask him? What do you think about us, all of you people here in Canaan? Here's what I have to believe. Listen to me. A visionary leader. I want us to just go to the next slide. A visionary leader. I want to see this. A visionary leader. You know what Caleb, by the way, you know what Caleb's name means? Why do I make him into a pit bull? Caleb's name means, the root of his name means dog. But it also means bold. Bold. So I just determined if I can think of a bold dog, I think of a pit bull. So I say to you that this is God's pit bull. And I don't know a lot about pit bulls. I don't have a pit bull. In fact, if anything, I respect pit bulls. In fact, quite frankly, I'm afraid of pit bulls. If I see a pit bull, I'm not going near. Because what I know about a pit bull, and, I, and I, I did study this out. People say the pit bull will lock its jaw and won't let go. But I kind of read on that, and there are people that say that's not really true. The thing about a pit bull, though, it was bred so that when it latches on, it won't let go. And I look at this man, this, this pit bull of a man, and, and his, 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 his courage And and then I think of of the fact that out of all of the ten of twelve spies, only two spies brought a different report. Only two spies said, wait a minute. They actually stopped the ten and said, don't listen to them. God is with us. In fact, this visionary leader had a vision of God. It wasn't just a vision of the land. He had a vision of God. So when I say this even now to every leader, every pastor, I said, it's really not what's your vision. It's what's your vision of God. Because you will only proceed and conquer what God has promised you if you have a vision of a great big God. And so what he was saying is, don't listen to them. Yes, there's giants in the land, but they do not have a defense. God is with us and we are surely able to, to, to possess the land. But, you know, when, when somebody speaks a lot of confidence and faith to a, a crowd that is, that is afraid, and that, that ten of them put fear in the hearts of the people, the people picked up stones and they said, let's stone these voices that are telling us crazy things like we're able Let me tell you something, folks. The world is going to define the church, and they're doing it right now. And they're going to call us all kinds of names and put titles on us. They're going to put, and this is what's going on right now. In fact, you know what? You know what is silencing the voice of the church is the fear of the politically correctness. Where they're saying to the church, where they're going to start calling you phobic, racist, and it goes on and on and on and on. And so the church is starting to start to cower. The only reason that they did not possess the land was they believed the report of those in the land. They said, we're nothing but a grasshopper. They're just going to eat us. And two of these guys, this pit bull of a man said, we are well able to take the land. Now a visionary leader has to experience the land. A visionary leader can only lead others where they have been and describe what they have seen. A visionary leader's task is to encourage others to believe and possess God's promise. In other words, the reason why God anoints leaders is for them to help other people experience the deeper things of God, go in and possess the land. Let's go to the next slide. A visionary leader must have revelation knowledge of God. If you look at Caleb, Caleb it describes the greatness of God. A visionary leader serves God's purpose and is committed to complete God-given assignments. When God... Listen, when the people said, we don't want to go in, the Bible says they wept all night. And they said, let's go back to Egypt. God said to Moses, he says, Moses, will you just get out of the way? He goes, I am going to consume this whole group, and I will make you into a nation. Moses said, no, Lord, if you do that, then all the nations will hear that you did that, and they will think that you didn't have the power to bring them in. He said, Lord, forgive their sin. So God said to Moses, okay, I will forgive their sin, but this generation will not inherit the land, except Caleb, my servant. He will inherit the land because he has fully followed me. The word fully means he has completed his assignment. He went all the way. He was faithful. He was, the word, in fact, five times the Bible says, Caleb fully followed the Lord. And Joshua. Joshua. My question is, why were Caleb and Joshua so different? I think part of it could have been that Caleb, being that he was mixed race, maybe they didn't hang out with him. Maybe he didn't hang out with them. And I know for sure that Joshua, the Bible says, never left the tabernacle. Whenever Moses left the tabernacle, Joshua stayed in the tabernacle. All of this has a lot to do. A visionary leader, let's read this, does not follow the crowd or the trend, but has a different attitude. That's exactly what the Scripture says. But, Moses, but Caleb, my servant, has a different attitude and has been committed to follow me fully. Folks, I'm, I just want to say this, that I believe that Pastor Allen is pouring into us something that's calling us to faithfulness. And wherever I go in these last few months, I have heard this word over and over to God's people. God is calling his church to be faithful. Because God's getting ready to do something. But here's what makes this even more important. We look at Caleb, my servant of the Bonsai. He's a Kenazite. He does not have any inheritance. If he's fighting for the land, it's not about him. He has no, he has no promise. He doesn't, you know, his father is not someone to, to receive land and then pass it down to him. He is not, in other words, his own children, if he doesn't receive the promise, then his own children won't receive it. But he's still willing to fight. He's a pit bull of a man. He, has a, he believes God. Numbers 14, that colossal failure, failure was because they simply could not believe God. Let's go to the next slide. But here's what I find in Proverbs seventeen two: A servant who acts wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance of sons. Because Caleb was a faithful servant. God promised Caleb that he would bring him into the land uh, that he entered and his descendants would inherit it forever. From a servant to an inheritance to a heritage. God changed Caleb's destiny. A man who really had no... Folks, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. God is just telling us in just a little bit of, uh, if you will, just a... In a in a in a a, a, in, a, a typo, in typology, he's giving us an example of what he's going to do with Gentiles in the future. They're really not heirs. And remember what it says? You know, we were far. We didn't really have any promise to us. But God is going to take us, the the wild olive branch, and he's going to graft us into the tree. Somebody say good amen. He's going to make you and I that really are not from the Jewish race, unless you're from the Jewish race, then you are basically Abraham's uh, offspring by blood. But I'm Abraham's offspring by the Spirit of God. I'm Abraham's offspring by faith because I'm that wild olive branch. Here you got this man who has no inheritance, and I'm telling you, God is saying, in the last days, my spirit's going to be poured out on all the world, and sons and daughters, and young men and old men. Now, so God is saying, he's going to, so let's look now, Caleb, so then God says this. I want you to see this. God says, okay, none of them are going to see the land. And they said that the land, the, 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 their, their children will be devoured in the land. He says, but no, their children will not be devoured in the land, for I am going to take their children into the land. So then God says to, to Moses, everyone that is 19 years old on down will go into the land. And everyone that's 20 years old on up will not. And then he says, and this is, this is why you think about this. Dropping this baton in a race, and I'm saying this to all of us that have gray hair. Dropping this baton spiritually. We that have have experienced Pentecost, drop this baton, and the whole team loses. What is going to happen here now is God is saying, if it weren't for Joshua and Caleb, He says, but I'm going to take them all back to the wilderness. And I I say this, Pastor Nathan, these two were the first youth pastors in the Bible. Because everyone 19 years old down, he goes, the only mentors they're going to have are these two men, Joshua and Caleb. And they are full of faith. And and here's what I say, why I call uh, Caleb a dreamer, the dreamer of dreams. For the next 40 years. This man is going to go to the wilderness, but now God has changed his destiny because God said something to him in Kadesh Barnea, a man who was just a bond slave, a man who had no inheritance. God said to me, when we come back, whenever we come back, he said he's going to give me that land for me and my children. So for the next 40 years, he's going to wander in the wilderness. And you know what? That next generation of of young people that are hanging out with him, they're going to say to them, describe to us the land. You're the only one that's seen it. Tell us what you saw. And so here's Joshua and Caleb. In fact, I even read that when Moses, before he died, he actually wrote out how they would divide up the land. And I'm thinking, how would Moses even know? There's a perfect description of it. Because Joshua and Caleb could tell him exactly what the land was. I'm telling you to Pentecostal men and women here that have received the baptism of the Spirit, have seen the move of the Spirit, have seen the way God works, you you are supposed to pick up this baton because the next generation that is coming in is going to want to know, tell us, tell us what you have seen. Tell us what this really is like. Tell us how the Spirit really moves. Tell us exactly what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is supposed to accomplish in us. So for the next 40 years, he's a dreamer of dreams. So I want to say something to the dreamers. Dreamers basically hold on to promises from God. Dreamers, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I have seen God move on. I'm going to say, so I ask my question to you right now. What do you dream about? Listen, if you're not if you're not the one that God's barely is revealing Himself to, what do you dream about? I'll tell you what you dream about. You dream about what you're praying about right now, and you dream about what you speak of and what you prophesy. Because I'm telling you that if you're on your knees before God and you are praying God, if you're you the pit bull generation, you know, if you are the gray hairs with me, you are, uh, you are the Caleb generation, we are the pit bulls, somebody say amen, and we lay hold of a promise and we don't let go. And, and we are dreaming that God is going to visit America one more time. I said God's going to visit America one more time. God's not done. He's not saying that he doesn't Hey, let me tell you something. God don't read social media. He doesn't really care. And God don't really even care what the politics are saying. Because I think in secret God is moving upon a generation right now. And and as and, and and that's what I'm saying to our older generation that you listen, some people have said, "I've already done my time. I've already put my baton down." Man, they're going to have to do it on their self. Listen, I tell I tell millennials, I tell, this is what I've said to the groups of young people. I've said, "Listen, I am praying for you, but I can't do your praying." I am praying for you, but I can't do your praying. You're going to have to do your praying. I I, I am repenting for you, but I can't do your repenting. I said, because what's going to happen is ultimately God's going to move upon you, and you're going to be the ones on your knees. You're going to be the ones praying in the next move of God. You'll be the ones that also have repented of everything that is not in line with God's kingdom and purpose in your generation, and we will see America, we see this awakening. So what happens is this dreamer, They could describe the land. So what do you dream about? What has God showed you? What do you pray about? What do you preach about? What do you prophetically speak? Joshua and Caleb had those 19 years old. And then we get to Caleb, the conqueror of giants. So when 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 40 years have passed, but here's what's amazing. He was 40 years old when they went to Kadesh Barnea. They've been 40 years in the desert. And when he comes to Joshua, he says, God spoke to me 45 years ago. I'm like, okay, where did I miss five years? You know what he's been doing for the last five years? When you when you read this verse where Joshua in Joshua 14, he asks for the mountain. He says, he comes up to he comes up to Joshua. He says, Do you remember what God said to me and you and Kadesh Barnea? He said, God said to me that he would give me the land. He goes, Now give me this mountain. But what has he been doing for the last 5 years? He's been fighting read the book of Joshua for the first 14 chapters. They are conquering land. They are possessing land. He's been possessing land for everybody else. Because a man that's got a heart for God like this man, it's really he's never it's never been about him. It's always been about God's purpose and plan for his people. But he says, "Now it's my turn. Give me the land." Give me the mountain. Give me Hebron. Actually, it was called Kiriath Arba, which is the city of the giants. Give me that city. For God said to me, you know what, here's what I have to believe. I have to believe that for 40 years he walked in the desert and dreamed of killing giants. In fact, I don't know. If he was a pit bull, he probably, every time they ever circled near the land, he probably growled and went. It's kind of like. God, you know, I feel like you've got me on a chain. If you would let me go right now, I would go in and I would conquer those giants. He said, give me the mountain. And Joshua says, it's yours, take it. And the Bible says that Joshua went in, excuse me, Caleb went in, and he conquered the land, the city of Kiriath Arba, and destroyed, and he names the giants that are destroyed. Let me tell you right now, there are all kinds of spiritual giants that are hindering God's people, and it's still going to take a generation that are still willing to pray, pray and, and, and fast until we have destroyed strongholds. Somebody say good amen, until we have destroyed giants. But like I say, I, you, can't, you, can, you can pray for the millennials, but you can't do their fighting either. And a good mentor, here's exactly what Caleb said. He said once he conquered his portion of the land, now he became the person that would, let me just jump all the way to the mentor of the next generation. Now, Caleb, I've read this and I've studied this. I've heard people say that Caleb only, only had a daughter. But I've, I've read the genealogies. I went into, into, you know, into all of the chronicles. And everywhere I see Caleb, it says Caleb and his sons. And I said, am I in the right Caleb? Yep, yeah, it's the right Caleb. Caleb had sons. So when Caleb possessed the land, his sons had an inheritance, but he had a daughter. Her name was Aksa. The way it worked is, remember, this, the, 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 the inheritance always came through the father, but the daughters didn't get their inheritance from the father. The only ones that could get it were the, the daughters of Zilophe. I can't even think of his name. It's in Numbers also. The daughters that had, there was no sons in a family. And God says, when there's no sons, then give it to the daughters. But when there's sons, it goes to the sons. But here's what this man said. But God said to me and to my children. So here's what Caleb said. He said, the next city that I need to conquer is Kiriath Sefer, which which is called the city of the books, where they believe was a spiritual stronghold. And here's what he said. He said, whoever conquers Kiriath Sefer, I will give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. Here's what I think he was saying. Two things. My daughter's going to get her inheritance through her husband. But I'm not going to let her marry anybody that's not like me. That's what he was saying. It's like a a Christian father today saying, I'm not letting my daughter marry some wishy-washy, weak person that doesn't love God, wouldn't wouldn't conquer anything. He said, whoever conquers this city, this, this stronghold... I'll give my daughter, and up comes Othniel, Othniel. He said, I'll go. Othniel, his name means, his name means powerful one, lion of God. So now the next generation is this lion, young man who is saying, I'll go conquer. And he goes, and the Bible says he takes the stronghold of, of Kiriath, Sefer destroys the stronghold, destroys. and I'm saying to say, God, are you telling me that the next generation will have to rise up and destroy strongholds that are really holding America hostage? But when he comes back, he gets oxa to do it for his wife. He didn't know that he married a girl just like her daddy. And as soon as they get married, she says to Othniel, you read it go ask my dad for land. Go ask my dad for land. My alarm just went off. Go ask my dad for land. But I think as I read this, and I've read, studied this about Othniel, it's almost as if he was a little bit nervous. So so it says all of a sudden, so she gets off the donkey And they describe this as almost like breaking the the wedding because it was not her place to go ask. It was her husband's place to go ask. But she just walks right up to her father, and he looks at her and he says, what do you want? He says, not only do we want land, give me the springs of water. Give me the upper springs and the lower springs also. (laughs) She's just like her daddy. Her dad said... (laughs) Give me this mountain. And she says, now that I have a husband who has land, give me the upper springs. Give me the in other words, she's asking for more. Give me double. Because they got their land in in, in, in a desert region. She says, give me the water from above and from below. And my heart is saying to me, God, may the next generation ask for more than we've ever asked for. May they have a heart. I mean, if Caleb had a heart to ask, then may this next generation have their own request and say, God, give me, open the windows of heaven and give me the fountains from below, Lord. Fill me. Give me Give me what I need. And so I close by telling you that Oksa and Othniel were the next generation of leaders. And if you keep reading the scripture, it says that when, it, when, when Joshua died, And Caleb died, and all that generation died. Another generation rose. And in their trouble, the Bible says they cried out to the Lord. And it says, and God raised up the first judge in Israel, and his name was Othniel. And it says, and God filled him with the Spirit. And he delivered the next generation completely. And for 40 years, they served the Lord with peace. And I'm telling you who produced Othniel, was Caleb, a man who said, I will, I will not, I, you know, and he mentored. Remember, he was 40 years with them, but he mentored and his daughter. And I just want to say this as I'm closing this morning. God is calling us, and I say to every father here, you just heard of a great father here, Caleb, a man who was who fought the fight because he wanted to be able to pass. In fact, here's what my Bible says in Spanish. And I just and I, I searched that out in Hebrew and I'm and I'm closing with this. Maybe our, our music can come now. It says when, it says and it says when Joshua gave Hebron uh, to, to Caleb